Call Steve Wither up. Calling Steve Wither up. Mobile. Hey, man. Hey, can you hear me? Yeah. Awesome. It works. Hey, um, we're we're about to do the service recording. Yeah. Because we're not having church Sunday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Quit being so weird because you yeah. can hear yourself talk. Hey, uh, can you can you pray to open us up? Happy birthday, Jesus Lord. Happy birthday, Jesus Lord. Happy birthday, Jesus Lord. Happy birthday to Jesus Lord. Happy birthday to Jesus. Happy birthday to Jesus. Happy birthday to Jesus. <laughs> okay, thank you, buddy. You did perfect. Thank you. Awesome. Go, Maddie. I love you. I got. I got. I got to record this with Uncle Steve, and then I'll. I'll be out. Okay. I won't take a long time. Go out there with. Go out there with Maddie. I got a surprise for you. Hey, hey, hey. Okay. Went well. You know what's gonna be cool? <laughs> Never using that again in our lives. Well, no, but remember, you're having a second. Right. And. uh it just that, highlights how awesome and easy life is. That doesn't cut. The second one doesn't cut chaos in half. Yeah, I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I have, I feel that at a very deep level. I'm just picturing next or uh, next time we get together, you sing. All right, and everybody bow your heads. <laughs> Happy birthday, <laughs> Jesus Lord. <laughs> I, I swear to you, at some point, I'm gonna be preaching a funeral. And I'm going to, everybody's going to file in, in unison like they do. And I'm going to say, the room is going to be pregnant <laughs> with just the waiting. And I'm going to say, bow your heads. Bow your Happy birthday to <laughs> Jesus, Lord. <laughs> and I'll do it for four minutes. Oh, no one <laughs> would be able to call you out. <laughs> be like what like one second of laughter from somebody and then even the person laughing would be like dude dude you gotta stop you have to stop and, and then just end it with oh man <laughs> dearly beloved <laughs> um okay well let's Let's start this, whatever it's going to be. Um, obviously, this is just for the church and all of that. Like, those are the people that are going to be listening to this. So, uh, as you know, we are not meeting right now. Um, coronavirus, COVID-19, whatever it's called, um, has knocked us out. We're probably not going to be meeting for at least, at least three Sundays would be my guess. Um so we've got to figure out some sort of a way of gathering and all of that stuff will be, you know, Steve and I have been talking about that. Like how do, how do we do this? Well, like obviously we didn't just like, um, we didn't just happen upon like, Oh, we're, we're, we'll just cancel. We were, we were going to cancel before, uh, before CMS even made the announcement. We felt, felt like it was the most responsible thing to do. We felt like it was, um, you know, exactly in line with what the CDC is saying and all that. So, um, but I don't want to just completely pause for three weeks and not have any kind of semblance of gathering. And obviously the reason we're recording this is not just as like a placeholder, but because we, we think that it's important. Like the same reason that we do services is the reason that we're recording this because it's important for us to hear the word together. It's important for us to wrestle with things together. And so that's kind of why Steve and I are recording this, uh, at 10 48 PM on Saturday, uh, to be able to send out to you guys tomorrow. So yeah, Steve, do you want to touch on any of that? Yeah, just that, um, I guess just agree with all of that. And, um, you know, depending on how long, 
we aren't going to be able to meet at Elizabeth. We're talking about different options as far as maybe uh, someone's home um, or something. But for now, we at least want to not, um, we, we want to do something. Um, so, so I guess that's why we're recording uh, this for at least week one of not meeting. Yeah. So before, before this um, started, this was Steve's uh, week to preach. And so Steve had been working on a sermon this week that was sort of off of the lectionary um, or away from the lectionary to be more precise. Uh, it was just going to be a one-off. And then as everything developed and we started talking about this, we really felt like that sermon was going to need some space for him to be able to kind of develop it and more time and more attention than probably, um, you know, there'd be on a podcast or on, you know, just an audio format like this. So, um, we just decided to, uh, to go with the lectionary this week to talk about the gospel text and then to have he and I, uh, have some conversation after Steve gives some thoughts on it. And we kind of go back and forth. This is, um, not super planned out. It's not like we've got a very defined outline. We're just, we want to read the text together. We want to, uh, interact with it and have some thoughts about it. And so, um, Steve, do you want me to just read the text and then you go into your part? Yeah. Yep. Just go ahead and, um, but don't read. I think the lectionary has it read through the, just read through verse 30. Okay. Um, I'm pulling it up here. Okay. Yeah. So the lectionary goes through 42. So just read, uh, five through 30. You said, yeah. Is there any translation that you want it to be in? It's in the NRSV is what I have pulled up. I guess I have been reading the NLT recently. Okay. I'll read that one moment, please. I'll probably edit this out. Maybe I won't. Andy, get off your phone. <laughs> Andy didn't answer my call today, and then I called Sarah, and she immediately answered. And, and then you she, heard Andy in the background? No, she answered the phone laughing, saying, uh, I just watched Andy not answer your phone call, which is pretty cool. Makes me feel good. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Oh, this is the NIV. Oh, my gosh. This is great. This is really slick. We... I've seen so many of my friends that are pastors recording these very professional videos with like full camera crews. And this is, this is us. Um, John chapter four verses five through 30. Eventually he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar near the field that Jacob gave to his son, Joseph. Jacob's well was there and Jesus tired from the long walk sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, You're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift God has for you and who you're speaking to, you would ask me, and I would give you living water. But, sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well's very deep. Where would you get this living water? And besides, do you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well? How can you offer better water than he and his sons and his animals enjoyed? Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I don't have to come here, and I won't have to come here and get water. Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband, for you've had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man that you're living with now. You certainly spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet, so tell me. Why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship the Father on this mountain or in Jerusalem. 
You Samaritans know very little about the one you worship, while we Jews know all about him, for salvation comes through the Jews. But the time is coming, indeed it's here now, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The Father is looking for those who will worship him that way, for God is spirit, so those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Yeah, so that's a, um, in one sense, that's a, it's a pretty common story. It's, it's one of the ones that we uh, think that we're pretty familiar with. The, you know, the woman at the well, Jesus speaks with the, the Samaritan woman at the well. Um, and I think that probably if you had to summarize it, the, the consensus would just simply be that, that Jesus, Jesus even talks to women right? and not just women, but Samaritan women, you know? So it's like this, um, it's this long story. In fact, it's the longest conversation recorded in um, any of the gospels, right? Yes. That Jesus has with anybody. And we just simply boil it down a lot of times to, um, well, look at this. Jesus even would stoop that low stoop. Yes, exactly. Stoop that low to talk to women and Samaritans. And of course, anytime that we use that phrase, like even talks to someone, I mean, we're already kind of setting the tone, setting the precedent that, that how low of a view that we have of whoever it is that we're, we're using that, that phrase to address. So um, we're acknowledging in a sense, the, the lowness of women or of Samaritans and then, you know, making Jesus look like this mega hero in this scenario because he stooped so low as to to even communicate or engage um, someone of such low standing. But but one of the things that I think stood out for me during this reading that I've never I guess if I'm honest, I've never really thought about before is that Jesus sets a completely different tone than that, mm-hmm. because the way that Jesus in, uh, initiates this is he establishes a tone of like of exchange because the starting point of this encounter um I believe is to show that the the enemy or the other person, the woman or the the Samaritan, um, the starting point of this is to show her is someone who actually participates and contributes to the encounter or the conversation. Like what we're witnessing is a genuine exchange or genuine conversation. Um, Because what happens? Like, how does it, how does it begin? You know, G when Jesus says to her, please give me a drink, he's doing something very radical there. Um, because like as, as radical as it is, uh, for Jesus to talk about loving your enemies, you know, that's a, that's a message that, that was radical to the time to not just love your friends or your, or those who love you, but to also love your enemies. But, but it's not radical enough for Jesus. He goes, he goes even further than that. Um, Amy Jill, uh, Amy Jill Levine, who is who specializes in Jewish understanding of the New Testament, um, gives an interesting reading on the Good Samaritan that I've talked about before. Um, because, you know, of course, because just like this woman is a Samaritan, you know, the Samaritans were used in other stories as well to portray you know, the, the, the hated ones, the others, the wrong, the wrong people, I guess. And, you know, and most of us remember the, the story of Good Samaritan in Luke 10, um, a Jewish man traveling from Jerusalem is robbed, beaten, 
left to die in the ditch, a Jewish priest comes by, uh, a Jewish Levite comes by, both of which ignore this uh, man in the ditch and continue on their way. Uh, the last person who passes by in the story is, of course, a Samaritan who um, responds in a way that shows care. And um, most, you know, we know that story. He uh, takes care of the man who is beaten, bandages the wounds, takes him to uh, a hotel and pays for his time of recovery. Now, when we read that story, of course, most of us like to make the point or to, or we hear it in a way that says, you know, we're supposed to be nice to our enemies. You know, we, we, we hear, we apply that story to the, what we think of as a radical message of Jesus to love our enemies. And so, yes, we're supposed to um, bandage the wounds of the wrong people. We're supposed to uh, notice the, you know, the enemy that's lying in the ditch and take care of them. But what Jesus was saying is even, again, just it's more radical because uh, the person or the group of people that he was telling that story to were Jewish people. And so anytime you start a story by by saying like, you know, OK, so a Jewish man is lying in a ditch. It's like that's the person that the listener would identify with. And so if, you know, if we start a story that I don't know if this is a wrong way to put it, but if we would say like. Okay, so a Muslim terrorist and a, you know, a white Christian, and we tell a story that involves those two people, of course, you know, I am instinctually going to identify myself within that parable as, you know, the, the white Christian or, or however we want to say that. And so, th so the crowd listening to Jesus tell the story of the Good Samaritan identifies themselves not as the Good Samaritan. But as the Jewish man who's lying in the ditch, the one who was wounded, the one who was beaten, the one who was robbed, the one who was left for dead. And so the, the more radical interpretation of that story is that it is the enemy, that the enemy is not the one that we should lower ourselves to reach out to, but the enemy is actually the one that the reaches one, out. Yeah. Yes, the enemy is the one that has something that we need in that moment. And so and so when we read this story about this Samaritan woman at the well, again, going back to, you know, it's not just us thinking that, wow, Jesus even talks to women or Samaritans, but he engages this woman in a way that speaks to her value within the conversation. Mm -hmm. So he says, give me a drink. And, that's not just patronizing her. Je Jesus is sitting at that well at noontime without his disciples, without a bucket. It's, it's hot. It's a desert. It's, you know, he's, he's legitimately thirsty and he needs a bucket. He engages her in a way that humanizes her from the very beginning. That's the tone that he sets. Like whatever else happens from that point on, Jesus has humanized her in a way that she probably has never been humanized by maybe anybody, but especially a Jew, but especially a man. Um, and that's the tone that, that Jesus, that Jesus sets. And he's She's genuinely bad. asking for water. We, we read the living water part at the end of that thinking that that's, he's just setting this up for that, but it started as just, I need you to get me some water. There's no way that he's not thirsty in that moment at yeah. noon, sitting at a well without a bucket. And the disciples later in the text that we didn't read are begging him to eat. Like he he was famished. He he needed like nourishment. He was tired. Right. Yeah. He's he's physically in need in that moment. And this Samaritan woman is the source of of what could feed that thirst or, you know, or quench that thirst. Right. And so he reaches out to her as a human being and says, give me a drink. And, and of course, you know, and I think that that's, you know, and it would be easy to see Jesus maybe as just simply patronizing her in that moment, almost like, um, I don't know, like say, you know, there's this, 
beautiful art display going on in a museum and, and like a child walks in with like a little sketch of a crayon, you know, a crayon drawing of crayon. Yeah. Thank drawing. you for that. Yeah. Sorry. Um, Stinking Pennsylvania. Right. <laughs> and, you know, hands it to the curator or whatever. And they are like, they, they make an overblown, exaggerated big deal about like, you know, oh my goodness, look at this wonderful drawing that this child contributed to this, um, you know, display or whatever, but, but everyone else knows that, that really they didn't contribute much of anything, but, and, but I don't think Jesus is patronizing her in this moment. He's setting the tone for what is to come by voicing his genuine need in that moment and, and valuing this woman as the one who could help him with the need that he is facing. Um, it's a very, very different tone heading into what's to follow um, than just seeing her initially as this low level uh, category, this woman, the Samaritan, Jesus values her initially. Um, and how, you know, I mean, how many times do we do that? How many times do we, how many times do we approach situations from an elevated position? You know, like we are the ones who are, uh, the source of help in this situation. We are the ones who are the source of, of everything that is valuable in this situation. And the other person is only the one who should be receiving what we have. Um, we we never know. like to read ourselves into a story as being the person that's in need. The radical message that we prefer is to love our enemies in a way that still sees ourselves as having the superior position for sure. the tougher, the tougher message to receive is to believe that the wrong person has things to offer us, has things that we need, have, um, have things that provide for our lack, I guess. You know how, of course, of course, Jesus was Jesus in this situation, you know, but he's like, modeling something, of course, yes, and, and it's so, a and it's a category breaking kind of story, obviously, like it's it's a not a dualistic us or them Samaritans or Jews, but a whole other thing, and that's that's what it gets to at the end of the passage is like it's not on this mountain or in that temple, you know. There, the spirit is is everywhere, and that's where things are moving toward, or whatever. Right, and she, and 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 that's that's what's been deeply ingrained in her too, because she can't think out of those, she can't think outside of those categories. But because look at how she responds, um, because when Jesus, when Jesus says, you know, give me a drink, and he's trying to break those categories, look how she responds. You know, it says that she was surprised. And she tries to bring it back to being contained within those categories. She says to Jesus, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. Why are you asking me for a drink? Mm -hmm. You know, she's like, look how deeply that's been, you know, just part of her, her DNA. She's not used to that. She's wearing all the labels or whatever. of the Yes. Right. She's used to what separates. She's used to dealing in thought that separates, I guess. That dualism. Um, yeah. And that's her fallback. That's she can't get outside of that thinking, you know, and, and so that's what she goes to. It, she's surprised by this. She's she's surprised to be valued as a participant and contributor by a Jewish man in this situation. And she doesn't know what to do with it, so she goes back to creating those categories that separate. I love how Jesus responds to that. You know, verse 10, he just says, Jesus replied, if you only knew. Like, that's, that's such, a, it's such a powerful, small phrase, just if you only knew. Because if you only knew the gift that God has for you and who are you, you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water like it it almost like if we would say that if you only knew you know it, it almost sounds like it's coming from an arrogant um spot sometimes but like 
I think that if we're honest, when we encounter, like if we have, if we have reached a certain place by encountering this, this God who, who tears down these barriers, who tears down these categories, if we've encountered that God in a real and meaningful way, when then, when then we encounter someone who's trying to rebuild those, we don't like debate, argument, those types of things won't work. Like we, we, we just simply respond with, you know, like if you only knew, if you've only, if you've only seen what I've seen, if you've only, you know, tasted what I've tasted, if you've only realized how unbound this God is, you know, if you've only Mm -hmm. realized how this God presence is not a category, but is, is described in this story as living water yeah, or in John three as spirit and wind and new birth, like these types of concepts, they're not easily articulated, but sometimes when, when you have felt them deeply, your only response again, not out of arrogance, but like just feeling sorry for, for the one who is trying to continue to think in reduced ways your only response is just if you've only if you only knew. Yeah. You know, I don't know if that that makes sense. No, to that you. no, it makes a lot of sense to me. And I think on the other side of it, so I think yes, we we can say if you only knew. But then also to hear Jesus say that to us if you only knew. Like I I uh you know, you're talking about like wind and spirit and water and all these all these concepts you know it's all pointing at it's having to use metaphors to try to like paint a picture for something that is hard to articulate and i heard uh i heard richard Rohr's podcast this morning driving around and he said and it was just a little throwaway thing he said i think that we you know obviously he he's talked about this before but he said we 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 crave certainty and we live in like a certainty kind of culture, like prove it to me or whatever. And he was like, we need a liturgy for not knowing. And he was like, I want to create a call and response thing uh, that would be, uh, I don't know. And I may never know, like read something, read something. I don't know. And I may never know or something, something along those lines. And I think, I think part of the whole hearing Jesus say, if you only knew is like, you may never know what Jesus is saying. You may never like fully taste because how could you? It's a metaphor. It's like living water and spirit and wind and breath and all of that. And so it's almost trusting Jesus at if you only knew, like I know Jesus saying, I know I, I I've tasted this. I know what it is. And it's for us, it's almost trusting Jesus and saying that if you only knew what I know, well, I may never know what Jesus knows, but I trust that there is something there. Does that make any sense? It, right, and I think that the only way to begin to know, though, is is through experience, because it's almost like, um, you know, it almost would be like, say, Jesus is explaining what a mountain is, and you know, and so, like, you know, how do you describe it? So it's like it's this giant rock, and the person that Jesus is describing it to is like, yeah, I get it. It's a it's a giant rock or, or the ocean is like just simply a, a big puddle of water. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, you can, you can articulate something in that way. But then like, if you say, yeah, I get it. A mountain is just a big rock. And Jesus like, ah, oh, if you only knew, like if you've mm-hmm. ever, if you've ever, if you've only experienced sitting on top of it, or, you know, there's yeah. just something greater and deeper. Like there's, there's so much beyond the thing that she was trying to reduce this God thing to in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, and Jesus obviously knows that not just intellectually he has, he is that he has ex- experienced that he has communed with the father in a way that uh, leads to that deeper understanding Um and he and communed so when, with the Father in the same way that he invites us to. I mean, he emptied himself sure. and became nothing. So I, I, I always thought Jesus was just walking around like, you know, with like a like a secret earpiece or something communicating. But 
it's the way the gospels describe it. It's the same thing we experience. Maybe there's not a dove coming down from heaven and saying, you're my son or whatnot, but it's him going away and being in silence and him fasting and him being in the will. You know, it's not like, it's not like he's taken up teleported in heaven or he's hearing something. He, I think Philippians two tells us that he was just us walking around. Right. Yeah. But, but he, he got it. He was it. Yeah. Um, and, and so he invites her then. So he invites the Samaritan woman into that same knowing that same experience, that same understanding of a God who is bigger than woman, Samaritan, whatever, whatever, you know, she was trying to reduce her, her thinking to. And so he invites her into this bigger thing of, of, um, living water. But to those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring from within them, giving them eternal life. And so she hears this and she becomes excited. She, she, like I, I think in this moment she almost begins to get it. Like she understands that there is this bigger, better thing that that she um, isn't being invited to participate in. This thing of fresh, bubbling spring water, giving them eternal life. And so she says, "Please, sir," the woman said, "Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. And I won't have to come get water." And so Jesus offers living water. She she arrives at this place of wanting to receive it. And then Jesus answers in a very strange way. He says, go get your husband. Yeah. Jesus. And so, and she responded, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, you're right. You don't have a husband for you have had five husbands and you aren't even married to the man you are living with. Now you certainly spoke the truth. Now, what an odd (laughs) exchange right there. Like, you know, and I was reading this uh, earlier today again, and th- you know, and this just struck me so strong that that Jesus offered her. This is this is interesting. Jesus offered her basically eternal life. You know, um, the spring of of living water, and and she she wants it. She she says, you know, give me this water. And then Jesus goes directly to go and get your husband. Now, so why did why did he do that? Why did he steer the conversation back to to that uh, specifically? Um, and I think that that what we can gather from that a little bit is, is just simply this: that 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 is where her pain is. That is where her brokenness is. Like. We don't know why she has had five husbands. Right. Like instant instantly we, you know, many of us think, oh, well, she's some, you know, promiscuous woman or whatever that, you know, is of a certain type or whatever. But but we the fact of the matter is we don't know why she has had five husbands. Maybe she's a widow, maybe there's infidelity there, maybe she is promiscuous, maybe her husbands have Maybe she's uh, I've, I, someone made the suggestion one time that maybe her husbands have left her right. because she's infertile, um, which would have been reason for them to do that in the day. Like we don't know why, but the fact of the matter is this this is seems to be central to her brokenness. And so this is where this living water needs to come back to like like Jesus doesn't just ignore this part of her and offer her living water he brings it to where it is most needed and he so gets that's to why the he, core of it yeah he absolutely does so again whether it's whether it's infertility whether it's um you know hurt from loss maybe her husband if her husband's passed or maybe it is from her own promiscuity or whatever or infidelity on her part whatever it is this is where the living water needs to, uh, to, to, to bubble up from. And so then that is why, of course, Jesus brings the conversation to this point again and makes her deal with the hurt, with the pain, makes her, her 
refocus on where it is that this work of eternal life needs to happen. And so she was she was called out in a sense. And and it's a wonderful thing to be called out. But it's not a wonderful thing for us to be called out, right? Mm-hmm. Like so so the question like and so we've all seen that happen in of course. Like just of course. Let's get this out of the way. Being called out is happens what nine times out of 10 in a very negative way. It's full of judgment. It's full of, um, finger pointing. It's, it's full of all of that kind of stuff. So, but, but put that aside because this is the voice of Jesus doing this in this moment, you know, Jesus loves her too much to not bring her to where she needs to be in order to receive the water that he is offering. So the question then at that point becomes, how will you respond? How will she respond to having this pain, this this hurt, whatever it is, brought to the central part of of this story. You know, how will she respond to it? Because how do we often respond to what we label as judgment? You know, like I want, you know, yeah, I would like living water. I would, I would like to to have this given to me, but what are you doing talking about all these, you know, negative things about my life? You know, of course I want salvation. Of course I want this. But how dare you talk about um, the thing that is central to my hurt or to central to my sorrow? Anything real or tangible that touches me specifically and not just me abstractly, my soul or something. Right. She is being exposed in this moment. You know, she's being seen for who she is in that moment. Again, whether it is just simply hurt or whether it's infidelity, whatever it is, she's being exposed in that moment because it's that exposure that is in need of the living water. And, and what, so what are you going to do with that? And whatever it is, whatever he's doing, he's not slapping her on the hand for being a bad girl and doing bad things. It's... <laughs> It's something far more profound that's happening. It's not like Jesus is walking around just pointing out everybody's, you know, uh, sin of choice or something. It's 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 getting to the heart of something, and it's it's what that fact about her has done in her. It is the central thing that she's been walking around with. She's aware of it as she sits there. That's part of the conversation when she's in the initial part of the the narrative with what she's saying to Jesus. She knows these things about herself. And is self-conscious about it. No, of course. And, and you know, if she's anything like us, I think that ultimately we long to be, we long for the curtain to be pulled back. Mm-hmm. You know, like it's, it, I almost would see her in that moment as it's like, finally, you know, yeah. finally I'm discovered. Finally I'm, dis, uh, I'm, I'm seen like whether it's, you know, whether it's some guy who's, you know, texting someone he shouldn't in a way that he shouldn't, it's like, even though he might not admit it in that moment, ultimately it's like the most relieving moment is being caught or being called out because finally it's out there. Let's deal with it. And it's, what are you going to do with it at that moment? And yeah. then this woman is facing that in this moment. It's like the finally relief the, of, no, yes. of no longer having to hide. That's right. Because she's, you know, it's been pointed out by many people who have preached on this message. She came to the well at noon, not when the other women of the village were coming. She came by herself for a reason. Again, we don't know what that reason is, but she's hiding. She's living in a way that seeks to separate herself from the rest. And so it's this sense of relief of finally, finally it's exposed. Finally, finally we can deal with this. And finally it's being offered something with healing behind it. You know, finally it's being met not with judgment. Finally it's being met not with ridicule, but finally it's being met with an offer of living water, a healing ointment, a, a, a reconciliation, a genuine 
opportunity for healing. Mm-hmm. And that can only come, like it would only be available if Jesus steered the conversation back to the very thing that maybe she wanted to avoid, right? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Than, yeah. Until Other you touch that, that central thing, you're you're not able to move past like where you've been. There's yeah. no transforming power that's available or that's going to jump over something. The only way it's going to work is if it works through all of it. And I know, I know we live in a very judgmental culture, you know, and I know, of course, like that is probably amplified within the church community. And, you know, people love verses like, what remove the log of your own eye before you deal with right you know uh, people love that but it's like put like let's get past the nine times out of ten that that is done in a negative way and open ourselves up to these types of moments where jesus is calling out the thing that needs healed there's nothing more there's nothing more exposing than that but there's nothing more saturated with potential for truly uh, finding healing. I mean, that. yes. If I'm more convinced than ever, if, if we don't deal with our ego, our shadow, you know, and all of the manifestations of that, we're never going to transform. We're never going to become the people that, you know, that God wants us to be or that God has the potential for us to be if we can't let Jesus speak into those things. And, and look how, you know, and she, this Samaritan, this woman becomes the example of, of how to respond to that. Because it, that was the very thing that she became excited about. Like, so, so she's avoiding everybody yeah, by coming yeah, to the yeah, well at yeah. noon. That's such a but good yet, point. But then she found something in that moment that is more true, more good more beautiful than anything else that she's ever experienced. And she then not only stopped avoiding people, she runs out and finds them. She finds them because (laughs) something has touched the thing that needed to be touched so deeply that she was, she was new. Yeah. Come, come meet the guy that told me everything I've ever done or whatever. And right. And and not in a, this like, no, no one's going to tell, anyone that if it was just come meet the guy that slapped me on the hand for stepping out of line. It's so void of that in this story. Because how insane is it that she, she does say that she doesn't say, come meet the guy that, uh, that gave me living water. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. She, she is literally saying, come meet the guy that brought that conversation to the place that I would have never wanted it to go. Mm -hmm. Like, how powerful is that? Yeah, living water is on the other side of dealing with that. Right. Yeah, because the That's living profound. water. Yeah, it, it, it is. And that is the thing that excites her. That is the thing. That's her message to the village. And yeah, that's, that's a powerful thought. It is. Well. Yeah. Because, like, we talked about this at Neighborhood several times, you know, where just the whole idea of evangelism can be weird, you know. Yes. But, and, but here's the thing. Like, you can't, you can't fake having had an encounter that this woman had. Oh, yeah. You know, like, you can't just you can't just go back to the village and, and fake this um, message of this guy offered me living water. And in fact, like we said, the, the way that she, the angle that she played doesn't even make sense. Like this was such a genuine encounter with the Messiah that brought her to this place that she needed to be, that then spoke into that place that, that she couldn't do anything but, take that healing that opportunity for 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 dealing with what needed to be seen mm-hmm. she took that into into a village that she knows also needed it like i'm sure the rest of the women 
in that village were going to the well in the morning. They were going about their days, but and they were pretending that they didn't need exposed in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. You know, but this the message that this woman brought back was like, what a relief. I encountered this guy, I encountered this Messiah that um that told me everything that I've ever done. Yeah. And finally it's exposed and finally we can get on with this. And finally we be, can become new creatures in Christ. You know, I, I, uh, I, I've heard Brad Jerzak talk a lot about, cause he's done a lot of work with, um, with addicts and in the addiction community and in the 12 step program, there's like, there's such a pure version of this. He talks about like, uh, quote unquote conversion experiences because you know like you said their evangelism is so stinking weird uh, in the way that we've seen it and that it's done and like he just talks about the pure experiences that addicts have had where it's like it they're all communities that are based on a central need or lack that's in them you know i i am doing things that i wish i couldn't do and i'm powerless to it there's like an admission of powerlessness that's at the heart of all of it and the conversion experience is it within that powerlessness, Christ comes and meets me even in my darkest parts and I find life. And so when I hear him tell these stories, when he, he has a million anecdotes like this, you know, of, of meeting people in prison or meeting, you know, people that are addicts, or whatever people that are like really acutely aware of their own need and lack that have hit bottom. It's the, it's so believable and they, and it's, there's no, you know, there's no, it's no surprise that these people become sponsors and end up giving their lives to helping others find the thing that found them, you know? Of course. And cause you know, you jump down to verse 39 and just simply says that many Samaritans from the, from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, he told me everything I did. Yeah. Like, I, how many times have we read that and not realized how much that didn't make sense? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it, it really should say, like, it really should say many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, come meet the man who offers living water. Yeah. You know, that stooped as low as even talking to me and gave me living water. Oh, little old me gave it to me. It, it's, right. it's, it's not that story. Right. He, she was offered an opportunity to become the thing that she was always meant to be. Um, I'm really proud that we've made it this far in and that I haven't made a, a parallel between the fact that all we're hearing about is the term social distancing and that I haven't made that and read that back into the story and made a illustration out of it. <laughs> There's still time. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess I did by saying it, but. Right. I didn't do it earnestly. I, is, is the opposite of earnest ironically? Yeah. I don't know. Who cares? Yeah. Anything else? Um, well, I mean, there's a ton to that story, but we've rambled long enough. And I hope people have um, at least gotten something out of that. Do we? Uh, uh, I I want I wonder what people are doing uh, while they're listening to this, like vacuuming maybe with headphones in. Yeah, probably that'd be my guess. Steve, how many uh, how many snakes are in your home right now? Uh, just two. <laughs> don't, Only. Don't, don't say just. <laughs> you have two snakes, and it's on purpose. Yeah. Yeah, I um, I have now learned to be very cautious when my oldest son says, "Hey, Dad, come check this out." <laughs> has he has he fed any of them yet? Oh yeah, you have to feed them pretty often. Do you? Okay, well I don't know. Uh, yeah, so so in our freezer is mice. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, uh, I don't have that, but I do. I can tell you that we've recorded or that I've recorded this standing in Zeke's room uh, and over his bunk bed. He has taped all of his drawings and coloring and 
little worksheets that he's done and that Chelsea's graded for him, and he has 100% on one of them. So I've just been looking at these the whole time. Uh, the, the 100 with a little smiley face in Chelsea's handwriting made me almost cry. And then all the other ones look like serial killer drawings, and it's like Rorschach kind of tests. And I have seen so many faces in all of these lines while we've been talking. It's very strange. That's fantastic. So we know how to end um, regular Sunday services because all you have to do is, if you don't know how to end in your, all you have to do is pray because that's a, you know. <laughs> right. Like I'm stuck in the middle of a thought. I don't know what to do. You know what? I'll just, dear God. I'm going to I'm gonna throw David under the bus, but he did that several times that I saw and I hope he listens to this and, and feels the love that's behind this critique <laughs> because he called you out on your diet. He did. Yeah. Oh yeah. This is payback for that. Um, so another thing probably would be kind of cool is I know Andrew and Amy are the only ones with fresh bread in their houses, but yeah, you know, during these couple of weeks, I mean, it would be kind of cool as a couple in a family for, everyone to do communion. So um, I'm going to pray specifically in that direction. Yeah. So, even if it's a piece of white bread and a drink, that's not grape juice, just something that symbolizes like, and, and you put this meaning into. Yeah. So God, we, um, God, sometimes we don't know how to treat these types of of moments. We don't know how to respond or how to be God. We we probably swing back and forth between pretending that our faith is so strong that we don't have to worry about uh, this virus, you know, or anything like that. But then, in our most honest moments we become very nervous and scared and full of anxiety, God. But I just, I, I pray that, Lord, we would just operate in wisdom, that you would bring us to a place of, of assuredness that, God, whatever, whatever it is, God, that, Lord, this is in your hands, God. And we, so we just subject ourselves to these moments in a way that does what we can God, that refuses to just simply respond out of out of this irrational fear, God. Just bring us to a place of peace and comfort. Yes, I pray for strength for those who this has hit closer to home, God, for people who know people with names and faces who are specifically dealing with this disease or this virus in this moment, God. Just bring comfort, Lord, and unashamedly i i pray for health and miracles god yeah. um lord we just believe in in that possibility um help us to be the church and to be the community in a way that we need to be in these moments god so with that being said i i pray that that we would come that we would continue to come to your table lord in these moments that we would reroute and recenter ourselves god by taking the bread, by dipping it into the cup, God, by remembering physically and tangibly, God, what is at the, at the foundation and at the root of this thing that we call life, God. And specifically in this moment, God, help us to allow for your spirit, for your voice, for the voice of Jesus to bring the conversation, God, back to where it needs to be. Lord, you so generously and honestly invite us to participate in this relationship. You ask this woman to give you a drink. God, you are asking us to bring what we have to this conversation. And we do that. And we know that in doing that, you have something greater to offer us. You do have living water. You're the source. You are the other. You're the unique part of this conversation. But we bring what we have been given. And we ask, Lord, that you would give us strength 
encourage to allow the conversation to go where it needs to go. Where is the living water most needed, Father? Expose that. May we take that message, God, to those around us, to, to the community that we find ourselves living our life in, God. May we bring that message of healing and that message of hope, God, into where it is needed the most. And so we take the bread, representing the broken body. We dip it into the cup, representing the new covenant, the forgiveness of sins, the grace that is offered from a loving creator. May we receive that grace. May we receive that mercy where it is most needed. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um, Madeline and I recorded uh, a little song uh, that we will play now, unless the audio is absolutely abysmal. And um, at the end of it, I'll say a little benediction prayer in podcast form, and um, and that'll be that. And then you'll hear more from us for what's ha- what's to come next week, and then what we're going to do in the meantime. Um, we're trying to stay as up to date as we can and just, you know, do the best that we can and obviously keep what the CDC is saying in mind and keep the most vulnerable in mind. And, you know, this is not, like I said, this is not something to be cavalier about. So we want to be safe. Ready to start? Yes. All right. I'm going to just play a chord, then you start singing. Whoa. I love you, Lord. For your mercy never fails me And all my days I've been held in your hands From the moment that I wake up Until I lay my head I will sing of the goodness of God Cause all my life you have been pray a benediction now. Uh, Lord, I pray for us that we would be the people of God on mission in this world, this world that feels fraught with, you know, anxiety and it's this this giant cosmic waiting game of what's to come and there's so much fear and so much anxiety. And so I pray, Lord, that you would help us to uniquely be the people of God on mission in the midst of chaos, that we would bring peace with us, that we'd be a people full of love, that we would close the gap, and that we would help the people that are in need around us, Lord. Help us to 
like really concretely embody your message of love to the world. Help us to be a people that are of use in real ways, God. Um, fill us with your spirit, Lord. Help us to be full of you. And uh, Lord, we pray that your kingdom would come and your will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Did you hit the stop button? I'm about to. We're stopped. Okay. Boy, what a bunch of BS. (laughs) Can you believe they think we believe it? Right. (laughs) 